Please become an unfound supporter at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. Guy Carlton Schwark III, Tony to those who knew him best, was a 29-year-old from Battle Creek, Michigan. He was a big guy who had played football. On December 6, 1986, Tony, his friend Dennis, and another man allegedly set out from the Bahamas to bring a powerboat back to Florida. They never arrived. They were never seen again. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. Although we are all here to figure out what happened to the missing people covered over the entire history of Unfound, if you've been around the podcast long enough, you know that sometimes the missing people's own words don't make it easy. In fact, sometimes we believe these people have lied on purpose so as to hide their real intentions many times not realizing this would make solving their eventual disappearances very difficult. For example, Allie Lowitzer said she was going to pick up a paycheck, yet there are now reasons to believe that was a lie. Gregory Howes claimed he was just going to play a round of golf. Well, his clubs were found on the course, but nobody believes he was really golfing. And, most recently, Evelyn Piper claimed she was headed to Israel to get married. This surely was not the truth. And I have to believe she knew it since she did not possess a passport. Yep, people other than the suspects can make these disappearances difficult. Well, with the disappearances of Tony Schwark and two other men, they said their trip was a simple retrieval of a boat. But was it really something else? What happened during the Bahamas job? And, now a summary of the case. None of these men's disappearances are documented on the Charlie Project, but Tony and Dennis's cases are on NamUs. Tony Schwark was a big guy, and his size was an asset growing up on a farm with his siblings. Tony might have even had a chance to play football at the college level, but a car wreck that broke several bones and killed his mother ended those aspirations. Still, Tony became a productive adult. Given his stature, he made a perfect bouncer at local bars and nightclubs. In addition, Tony was in the Iron Workers Union and made decent money because of it. The only negative point that might have been said about Tony is that although he didn't have much trouble with the law, he might have been enticed to make some shady deals if the price were right. So, on December 6, 1986, Tony was in the Bahamas of all places with his friend Dennis. A few days before, they had been recruited by a guy Dennis knew from their home state of Michigan, Bill, to fly to the islands to bring a powerboat to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
even though neither of the men had ocean-going experience. They were joined by a Bahama man who would help them navigate at least part of the way. According to a witness, the three set out that Saturday for what should have been a four-hour trip. They never arrived in Florida. They were never seen again. A Coast Guard search two days later turned up nothing. No boat, no men, no signs of a sinking at all. This is the third unfound episode where men have gone out on the water and the circumstances of their disappearances are seemingly up for debate. Ponder why these kinds of cases have so much wiggle room as you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, why would Dennis tell his mother he brought over $100,000 in cash with him on the trip? Number two, why didn't Bill, who was already in Florida, go get the boat himself? And number three, if this were a drug smuggling trip gone bad, why aren't there more stories of Americans disappearing under similar circumstances in the 1980s? Tony's family can't help but think this disappearance was not a sinking. The guest for this episode is Tony's sister, Lisa Molino. Unfound News. The next episode of Found, the monthly series available to Patreon and YouTube supporters, will be coming out within the following week. I will go over the disappearance and discovery of J.C. Dugard. Please support Unfound by joining at Patreon or YouTube to listen to the episode. Next, are you listening to the other podcast I've been putting out for a few months now? Unfound Live. Please, on your podcast application right now, find it and hit the subscribe button. Most recently, I covered, among other things, the unsolved disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Finally, I will once again remind you of my new project, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone, that's coming out in June. You can find it at howtopodcastbetterthananyone.teachable.com. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast, you must take this course. Thanks. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Tony Schwark, Lisa Molyneux. Lisa, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. As I, I think I've already brought this up to you, uh, Lisa, I actually have a cousin with the same uh, last name, which is, you know, of course, Molyneux is not a very con- uh, common last name. I have a cousin with the same last name, and maybe we should have explored that a little more than we have. So, But it's great to have you uh, on this episode. Uh, speaking of last names, let's talk about your family. Of course, Tony is your uh, brother. How many kids, how many other siblings do you have besides Tony? What was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? Describe your family. Okay. Uh, Tony was the firstborn of my family. There's five siblings, and including myself. I am the baby. I'm the youngest, and he was the oldest. Mm. 
And when we have, uh, I have another um, brother named Jesse, a sister named Vicki, and a sister named Cindy, and a half-sister named Gretchen. Wow. But, um, let's see, we were born and raised in Athens, Michigan. Okay. And on a farm. Wow. Outside of town. And we, my dad was an, um, he was an iron worker, and my mom was a bartender up until 1975, and then um, she's deceased now in 75. So my dad raised us five kids on the farm, um, and how we were raised. And it was, it was a blast, actually, with not having both parents, we we would get into a little bit of mischief, but it was good, clean country mischief. You know, it wasn't, uh, uh-huh. it wasn't anything bad. Uh-huh. But Tony being the leader of the family, when my dad wasn't present, uh, he would, uh, Tony was a very, he was a very large man. He was mm-hmm. huge. He, he stood six, five, at least, mm-hmm. um, you know, 250, 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. He was a big, big man. And, but he would get us, we, we practice fire drills outside the bedroom windows upstairs. And he'd tie us all up in sheets and lower us down, you know, and he would hotwire the vehicle and we'd go to the local country store to get candy and pop. And, uh, he was just, he was our protector. He was our protector and he, he was just—he was the firstborn son. He was the man of the house, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I should ask, how many? Being that he's the oldest, you were the youngest. How many uh, years difference is there between you and he? Um, uh, twelve, I think. Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and so he went. He was twenty-nine when he was missing. So you were seventeen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay. And when you say you grew up on a farm, does that mean like you had horses and cows and everything or what? Yes. We had horses. Um, my dad wow. made sure that each one of the kids had a horse. Tony had a stallion um, named Blackjack. But the we all had a horse and we all, every weekend, my dad would load us all up in the horse trailer and all those kids and we would go barrel race. And so we, we were double-A uh, rider barrel racers um, throughout our childhood. And then we also had pigs. And huh. um, and we had, uh, oh, we had mm-hmm. just all kinds of things to do. We, we mostly, we had, uh, we sold sweet corn in the summer mm-hmm. for our school clothes. So we had to work. We had to work yeah. uh, we had a huge garden. And we had to work in the gardens and the potato fields and the corn fields and and we would sell those items in the summertime for uh, to raise money towards our school clothes. Yeah. So did you have cows? Like, do you have stories of getting up at like five in the morning to milk the cows? Is that kind of farm that it was? Or no, it was. Uh, we had land. We we had land, and then we had uh, seven horses. And we had like six pigs, uh, one boar, and then the only thing we really had to get up and feed in the morning was our deer. My dad, 
um, was plowing a field one, one spring, and he, he was on the tractor, and he turned around and looked at this big bundle that had come up from the ground from being, you know, being disked over. Mm-hmm. And he got down off the tractor and went over to it, and it was a baby fawn. Wow. And he put it in his he put it in his jacket and he came home with it and, and she was newborn she it, she was still wet and um, we na- I named her Bambi and that's the one thing we bottle fed for probably wow. the first year. <laughs> wow! And then you let her go off into the wild. No, she actually we let her roam around. Mm-hmm. Um, she had to do whatever she wanted. It was all it was, we were surrounded by farms and land, mm-hmm. so she got to go wherever she wanted to go. But she'd always come in at the night at nighttime, and or she'd come up to the door and she'd want to be fed. But we had her probably almost three years before she finally walked off into the wild and didn't come back. Wow, what a story! Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Wow. Okay. All right. So living on the farm, uh, I grew up. I grew up in the hills of Pennsylvania. I grew up right next to a farm. In fact, there were cows in the field about a hundred yards from my bedroom window. But I didn't. I did not grow up on a farm. There was just a farm next to uh, my house. So there you go. Thank you for all of that. Okay. So Tony is the oldest, and so let's. Uh, of course, he's the missing person, along with a friend of his and somebody else. But let's just talk about him. You already um, said a, what a big guy he was, but maybe we have to clear this up, is that he went by Tony, but his, actually his name was Guy Carlton was his real name. I mean, how does the person go from Guy Carlton to Tony? When, when Tony was little, he used to sit in his high chair. <laughs> and being from the town that we were from, Athens, we were just outside of Battle Creek. And who was in Battle Creek but Kellogg's. Kellogg's cereal. Uh, yeah. Yep. And Tony the Tiger was really mm-hmm. big at that time. Yeah. And sure. he, he would sit in his high chair and he would growl up for his breakfast. And he would be Tony, he'd pretend to be Tony the Tiger. So that's how my mom nicknamed him Tony. That is spectacular. And he was, uh, he was like Guy Carlton the Third, so he was like a. a so you, his, yes. your father was the same name, your grandfather, something like that. Yes, yes. Tony okay. is uh, Tony was Guy Carlton Short the Third, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, my dad was a, a junior. They called him Sonny, and then my grandfather. So wow. yeah, it was a name passed down through generations. Okay, very good. All right, so you might find it out for all everybody uh, watching that. Um, in most places, you're going to find this Tony Schwartz, but you may find some places also, like on Namus, where it does say Guy Carlton Schwartz. Just wanted to uh, see why that was. Now we know. Something else uh, about Tony that I found, he was a very good being that you said he was a big guy. He was a very good football player. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Tony played um, football for Athens High School. Uh, we were the Athens Indians, and... He was number 74. Um, he loved contact sports. He, mm-hmm. Most kids would go to the gym, and Tony would go bail hay. I mean, that's how he, that's where his strengths came from, was mm-hmm. he didn't get to go 
stay after after school with the rest of the kids and work out and you know he he went home and he tended farm animals yep. and he tended to help my dad with farming and you know he had to do it he had to do it old school you yeah. know and that's how that's how he grew and and in one summer he blossomed he mm. he went from being a regular average kid to he shot up and he put on weight and he come back to school a monster and he just huh. loved football. He loved playing football. Yeah, I found some articles uh, about him where he was prominently mentioned uh, in in the news. Uh, just going back through some newspapers.com articles, so I did did find that. Uh, did he ever have any aspirations of playing uh, at the college level or not? No. Um, <clears throat> When we were in an automobile accident in 1975, that would have made Tony about 18. Mm. And I was set six, going on seven. Mm. But we were in an automobile accident. We were hit by a drunk driver. Oh, my. On August 3rd, 1975, and, and my mother was killed. Oh, my. But Tony's injuries was his, um, he broke his hip oh and his jaw. So he had prior injuries that prohibited that from happening. Wow, I didn't know about that. I'm sorry to hear that. Who was was in the car? You, Tony, your mother, who else? Just the three of you or who else? There was both of my sisters, Vicky and Cindy, and myself. We were in the backseat. And Tony, his girlfriend, Leslie, and my mom were in the front seat. My mom was driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and your mother was the only one who got killed? Yes. Oh, my. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, that's okay. I, that's, uh, that, uh, the listeners should know I'm just hearing this for the first time. I'm really sorry about that, Lisa. Wow. Okay. All right. So that, kind of, so that wreck kind of gotten in the way of maybe his athletic aspirations, maybe? Yes. Okay. All right. Um... Let's move on to this. So, you know, about school and, you know, what did he do after high school? Did he did he go to college? Where did he work? Did he just work on your farm? What did he do with his life, uh, you know, there in the late 70s, early 80s? Uh, he started out um, under my dad as an iron worker. Hmm. He worked out of um, Iron Workers Local 340 in Battle Creek, Michigan. And he... Um, he was good at his job. My dad, he ran a he ran a strict boat, you know, a ship. He was, you know, mm-hmm. he was a he had to be though. He he raised five kids on his own, so he had to be. He had to know where we were at all times, what we were doing, who right. we were with, because he didn't want us becoming mischievous kids, you know. But Tony, um, he became an iron worker, along uh, and my brother also was an iron. My mm-hmm. brother Jesse, the surviving brother, mm-hmm. and um, they sometimes would work on the same jobs together. But Tony started out there. That's where he he was still an iron worker when he disappeared. Okay. What would you say about his personality and uh, outgoing, introverted, extroverted? You know, what else? What were some of his interests besides playing football? Of course, after high school, maybe the injury got in the way of that. What were some of his other interests? He's an iron worker. What else was he doing in his spare time? He would, uh, he loved shooting pool. He, um, he loved 
people. He 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 was he was a life of the party. Mm-hmm. He really he was a magnet to you know arm wrestling. He huh. he took a couple tro- he took a couple of trophies in um, monster arm wrestling, mm-hmm. and he uh, he was um, also. Uh, what do you call them? The the ones at the bars. The bouncers. Bouncers. Yes. He wow. Was a bouncer. That makes all, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he was a bouncer. He he took care of business in the bars. Huh. Um, he had several run-ins, you know, that he had to take care of, but he he didn't get too injured at all. You mm-hmm. know, he he put up a good fight. Okay, so would you know sometimes when we see these big guys like this, like like Tony's size. You know, um, sometimes they're described, they look kind of very scary being their size and everything, but they're really a big teddy bear. Would you say that's what Tony was, or was he kind of more serious? He, well, he had, he had a, a fun side. Mm-hmm. He, he was going, he, he really didn't sweat the big stuff, and he, you know, but then there was a time when he had to, he had to be serious, and yeah. when he was serious, he, he was serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. People didn't want to see his serious side. Okay. What about uh, relationships? Uh, ever married, girlfriends, any kids? Um, many years ago, back in the 70s, when there was free love, <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, he, he met a girl. Um, her name was Brandy, mm-hmm. and he had a child with her, uh-huh. and... Um, she was, uh, she was very, uh, flamboyant. She, mm. she was in the free love and all that and kind of like a hippie, you know? Okay. And, um, but a wonderful hearted woman. And she ended up moving into another state and unfortunately we lost contact with her and we do mm. not know where to find her. And, um. But she has my son, my Tony, my brother's only child somewhere out there. So you've not had any contact with her and I guess Tony's, was it son or daughter? Son? Daughter. Daughter? Her name is Son, S-O-N-Y. In like how long? 40 years or or, or how long? I've never met her. Never met her. No, wow. and I'm 54. Well, do you know her name? Sony. Uh, yeah, Sony. yeah, but what was the what was the little girlfriend's name? Brandy. Brandy, and you don't know her last no. name? No. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. That I that's uh, and have you tried to look for her? Have you ever tried like, you know, uh, ancestry.com or anything like that? Yes. Um, actually, my brother Jesse has is making attempts to try to find her. Okay. And what? How old do you think Sony would be now? Daughter would be how old? She would probably be in her thirties or forties, maybe. In her forties. Okay. All right. Yeah, we have to remember how long ago this was. Okay. Did uh, how did how do you think? Of course, he didn't disappear. Until, you know, nineteen eighty six. But how do you, how do you think that affected him? She takes off with his daughter. Did he seem affected by that, or did he try to track them down? Do you know? He, um, 
there were some things that Tony kept private mm-hmm. and kept um, when he moved out from the farm, he he went and got an apartment in Battle Creek and the, in the what we consider to be a city, and he kept his personal life private. Yeah. I know that he he did some searching. I know that they have been in contact, but we didn't know how to contact her, and that died with him. Okay. Or that went missing with him, I should say. Okay. All right, so we have to keep that uh, in mind. So not only do we have a missing uh, man here, but uh, his girlfriend and the, the missing man's daughter also took off and went somewhere even before he went missing. Yep. Okay, yes, thank correct. All right, thank you. All right, so we can keep that in mind as well. Let's move on to these items that I think are going to be very important uh, to understanding his disappearance. First and foremost, how much boating experience did Tony have? He had lake experience. He had he could drive a boat, a pontoon. Uh, I have several pictures of him um, fishing and uh, driving a pontoon boat with uh, several people on there. Um, you know, I, he was he he could. There's lakes around around Michigan everywhere. We're surrounded by him, so he he was he could do some boating. Okay, yeah. so he had a little bit of boating experience, and we have to remember this is Michigan. We got the Great Lakes up there, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Correct. Moving on to this. So, once again, we know he went missing. Something having to do with a boat in the Bahamas. Uh, we'll get into that in a little later. But any issues that Tony, I realized you would, were not following him around. You have your own life to lead in the mid-1980s, but... Uh, any issues that Tony had with the law and anything that might lead you to believe he would do something, what we might call shady or illegal? Any, what about any of that? Yes, actually. Um, you know, back in the 80s, he did not have any problems with the law, no. Okay. And But is there anything that would lead you to believe, knowing the him like you did that would might lead you to believe that he could be convinced to do something that was illegal or shady anything in his character that would make him say yeah i'll do that yep yep tony was that he, okay you know yep he was a risk taker mm-hmm. he was a risk taker i mean he had an excellent characteristics about him he was a very had a lot of integrity but he also he he would stand up for the underdog but he would also he wouldn't back down from a challenge okay all right everybody needs being that this is of course uh tony's sister we have to all keep this in mind when we get into uh the, the disappearance a little later thank you for that let's move on to this dennis bagnall of course he is also missing seemingly uh, who is he? How did he know Tony? Did you ever meet Dennis? What can you tell the listeners about him? Dennis um, Bagnell was with Tony. They met in Battle Creek. Um, friends, local bars, you know, they mm-hmm. all kind of men in the same circles. And Dennis was 24 at the time. And um, they became good friends. And that is about 
at the time too remember i was only about 17 i was right. a senior in high school right so yeah i um i didn't know a lot about what tony did with his life up in battle creek mm. okay so um dennis bagnall that's all really anybody knew about him uh for example did your family know about him before dennis and tony went missing had you heard of him had dennis ever been out to your father's house anything like that Mm, no, no. Tony did bring friends down, but mm. Dennis wasn't one of them at the time. Okay. Um, uh, I never met him, but I think my father did. Okay. And do you, was Dennis, for example, was Dennis also an iron worker, or do you, have you ever heard what his actual job was? Was he in the same union? Anything like that? I, I, that I don't know. Okay. So all we know is Dennis is around Tony's age, and they meet in Battle Creek somehow. Could have met at a bar, could have met at a, you know, a shooting pool, could have met a lot of different ways. Yep. Okay, very good. Let's move on to this. Now we're going to talk about him. We're going to just talk about him in general terms. I'm just going to ask you some very uh, pointed questions because we, I know we want to tread a little lightly around this. But Bill Bedford, had you ever heard of his name before Tony and Dennis went missing? Um, yes. Uh... Bill Bedford owns several businesses in Banner Creek. Okay, so that's the way you knew him. Uh-huh. All right, did, uh-huh. you, did you have any idea that Tony knew him? Did your father know him? Did anybody else in your family know Bill Bedford personally? My dad more than likely knew him. I did not. I just mm-hmm. knew of his automotive business and some other... Um, before Tony went missing, um, that's how I knew him. Okay. I've heard the name. I never met him. Okay. All right. So, so you would say, being that he's a business owner, would you say a lot of people around Battle Creek know knew him, or he's still alive? Everybody should know. Uh, in, but he's not in Battle Creek anymore. Um, did a lot of people around Battle Creek know Bill Bedford? Yeah, I, I'm guessing they did because he was a pretty prominent businessman. Okay. Did you have any idea that he was into boats? No, I didn't, but it wouldn't surprise me because they have a really big lake there in Battle Creek, Gold Lake, and that that, uh, a lot of, he lived on that lake, so I'm guessing he probably did have something to do with boats. Okay, very good, and that's all we're going to talk about him uh for now uh just maybe of course we're going to talk about him but just to get that out of the way bill bedford known guy had heard of him before this all happened and um so i just have some other pointed questions for you to your knowledge i once again realized that you weren't following tony's movements every day of what he was doing with his life back then to your knowledge had he ever been to the bahamas before the time that he went missing no had he ever okay had he ever been even to florida Yes. He had been. Yes. Okay, but not to the Bahamas. All right. When Tony and Dennis went to the Bahamas, did your family know where he was going and what he was doing? For example, did Tony say, you know what, Dennis and I are going? Did he let everybody know, or was this something that he kind of did without telling anybody? Well, no, he he let my dad and my brother... um, our grandmother, he stopped and seen them before he went. Okay. He just said that he just, all he pretty much said was that he was going to be doing some business and, 
and the and over the Bahamas, and that he'd be back soon. Okay, very good. So it wasn't like he slipped away in the middle of the night. He just said, you know, I'm gonna. Dennis and I are going there, and he said they'd be back in a few days. Yes. Okay, very good. And did he ever mention why he was doing this, how much he was getting paid, and did your family know that it was Bill Bedford that had asked Dennis and Tony to do this? How much, I guess what I'm saying is, how much did your family know about Tony doing this before he left? Um, he didn't broadcast it at all. It, it was just, hey, I'm taking a trip to mm -hmm. do this for a friend of mine, and I'll be back in a few days. Okay. And was Tony specific? Once again, I understand you were 17, but you've, you've had a chance to talk to your other siblings, maybe talk to your father about this. What was everybody's understanding as to what this job actually was, at least on the surface, what the job was? They were going to repossess a boat for Bill that was in dry dock over in Brittany. Okay. And they were going to bring it back to Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, thank you. Okay, so let's just talk about this trip. Of course, the disappearance date is December 6th, 1986, but as best as you can tell, what day did Dennis and Tony leave? Where did they fly to, and how did they eventually get to the Bahamas? What do you know about all that? I know, <clears throat> I know that they made it down to Florida, and then they flew out of Fort Lauderdale over to the Bahamas. Okay. And um, we know this also, Dennis, um, he never got his luggage from the airline. So we know that they, you know, they made it over there, but, um, and stayed at a hotel there while they were doing business, trying to get the boat out of dry dock and pay the, pay the money that needed to be paid for it to get out. Okay. So your understanding then is they went out there and this was Bill's boat? Yes. Or, or was Bill buying it? You said repossessing it, so did somebody have it? He was getting it back. But this was Bill's boat. They, um, a person was holding the boat. Mm -hmm. And he had to be paid $10,000 in order to get to release the boat to Dennis and Tony. Okay. All right, so maybe there was something going on here with docking fees or something like that. Uh, but, it, okay, so they, they're going out there, but your understanding is this was Bill's boat? Yes. Okay, very yes, good. Okay, so they get out there to the Bahamas, Bill's boat's there. And you talked about Dennis's bags, that his luggage got lost or something. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. All right, so they're out there. Now, I, wanted, I just need to tell all of this. Now, some of this, uh, you should know that um, both Lisa and I tried to reach out to Dennis's uh, family and trying to get them involved in uh, trying to cover this disappearance so they just never got back to us. I'm not saying they've never talked about Dennis's disappearance themselves. I don't think this disappearance, these disappearances have ever been covered by um, a podcast before, although we are going to talk about Unsolved Mysteries a little bit later. But I just want everybody to know we did try to involve them in the, the production of this episode. We just 
could not, they just would not get back to us. Um, but the problem is that a lot of this information is going to come from Dennis's mother, who is now deceased. So, but this is all well documented. So, having said all that, Lisa, what is your understanding about the day that they finally got this boat and we're going to be bringing it back to Florida from the Bahamas? What is there? Of course, there's this other guy. Maybe we need to mention him. Who is this other guy first? Oh, uh, well, you mean other gentleman that was on the boat? That's right. Besides, besides Dennis and Tony, there's there's uh, another guy that seems uh, to be missing. Who is he? Yes. Uh, his name is Bobby Major, hmm. and he was a guide. He was a Bohemian guide, and um, he was hired to get the the boys Tony and Dennis through the coral reefs, and because I guess it's pretty dangerous mm -hmm. um, to get through them. And um, that's what he was hired for. Um, and they made it over to the Bahamas. They got the boat in the water. They, um, they loaded the boat with, uh, they bought some life jackets, um, water, uh, food, you know, bananas and apples and things and such in a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. So they were in in the marina, in the boat, getting ready to, to head out to open waters. Okay. And that day that they wanted to leave, that they were getting ready to leave, the, they were experiencing um, the, the waves were like six to seven foot tall and the water was pretty rough. But... Tony wanted to go anyway, and mm -hmm. and uh, said that if, if hey if if we don't make it back by a certain time, call the Coast Guard. Okay, and we're going to get into that comment a, a little bit later. But the plan was not to go directly from the Bahamas to Fort Lauderdale. They were going to be dropping this other guy off at Bimini, right? Is it? Yeah, um, Freeport, I think it was. Oh, in Freeport. I think it was Freeport, yeah, Freeport, Bahamas. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. Well, it says here that the the guide is okay. The conditions were not favorable. Um, the waves were running seven to nine foot with blowing wind from the east. They were planning to make the run on Thursday or Friday. Condition, but the conditions were much worse. Not having the patience to wait out the weather, they decided to go anyway. Okay. So they left. Yeah, they, they left on that day. Okay. Now, I'll probably just uh, describe this. Now, we need to understand what kind of boat uh, this was. This was not some, like, deep sea fishing vessel or anything else. This boat, uh, what did they call them back? Like a cigarette or cigar yeah, type of boat? It's like yeah. a, a race type of boat they used for racing, at least back then. And I would even say that if you've ever watched the, the show from the 1980s, <clears throat> Miami Vice, this kind of boat was featured very prominently uh, in, that, uh, in that series because of its speed and, and everything else. This is the kind of boat they were getting. Yes. Okay. All right. So it's like a race boat. This is not some like deep hauled 
boat, like for fishing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it didn't have an upper or lower deck. It was yeah. all one sleek, long. Yeah. Boat. yeah, very good. Yes, very long and sleek. That is totally true. Okay, so they're getting this boat ready. Sounds like the weather could be better than it was, although it doesn't sound like it was raining or anything, but. You know, with the, with the Florida and Bahama weather, if you don't like the weather, just wait an hour and it'll change. But they decided um, that they were going to make this trip. However, of course, we know that they went missing, uh, so they don't make it to Florida on this day, December 6th. As far as you can tell, did anybody do anything? Of course, this is Bill's boat. It's Bill's uh, friend, uh, Dennis, who I think who knew Bill better than, than Tony did. Did anybody do anything when they don't end up in Florida later that day? No. Um, the, okay, apparently there was a, well, a, convers, a conversation between Dennis and Bill. Um, Dennis called from his hotel room mm -hmm. and called Bill and said, if we don't arrive by 4 or 5 to call the Coast Guard, but the hotel didn't have a record of that. So I keep confirming that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that a little later, but I'm just wondering, but when they don't arrive, of course, we know that they didn't. Does anybody do anything? Does Bill do anything? Does anybody anybody out there do anything? Or down here in Florida where I live, coincidentally, although on the Gulf Coast side, um, does anybody do anything when they don't arrive? No, no, nobody does it. Okay. All right, so when Bill, so for example, when Bill doesn't hear from them by 6 p.m. Eastern time, he doesn't call the Coast Guard or anything, as far as you know? No. Okay. Nobody was called. Okay. Um, when was the Coast Guard finally alerted that there was these, at least two guys, maybe three, at least two guys, two Americans anyway, who were supposed to be coming to Florida, don't reach it. When was the Coast Guard finally alerted about this? Um, it was a couple of days later. It was like two days later. All right, so maybe December 8th before. And who initiated uh, you know, the searching and everything that was eventually done with them? Was it Bill that initiated it? Was it somebody in Dennis's family? Was it somebody in your family Dennis. who all got worried? Who got worried first? Dennis's father was notified first mm. um, by Bill that um, the boys had made it back, and um, and that they he he then told them that if they, you know we should probably call the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard did a two or three day search. Mm -hmm. um, it was like my my father was notified. Mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm December 8th. Okay. And um, that's kind of when everybody got was told that they left on the 6th and hadn't been seen since. Okay. All right, so there, it's very easy to understand. They're in this boat. They're supposed to come back to Florida. They got these other guys trying to help them out, like a navigator maybe who has made this trip before, being that Dennis and... Uh, Tony have never driven a boat from the Bahamas, and I can even say I have a lot of boating experience, but I don't know if I'd want to get out there in the middle of nowhere where you, you can't see land and you're not even sure you're going the right direction. Um, you know, kind of helping them out, and all three of these guys uh, go missing. Um, from what you were told, I realize that you were not involved in this, but what you were told 
what is your understanding as to Bill's reaction when these two guys don't bring his boat back? What was his general reaction? I, she didn't seem, she didn't seem bothered by it. Okay. He might have been worried, I, I, but I, he didn't come across that way. Okay. And your understanding, being that these two went to Baham, the Bahamas to bring this boat back, where, of course, Bill uh, is technically from Michigan. That's where he has his businesses. But your understanding of where he was when they were making this trip. Yeah, he, he was in Florida. He, he was. Okay, um, Dennis, Dennis's father, Claire Bagnell, lived in the condominiums that the Bedford owned down there in Florida. Okay. So Claire was, was Bill's tenant. And when, the, um, when Claire and their other son, Dennis's brother, it had, they had been boating up from Michigan to Florida. Somehow, I don't know, they, they did a big, long riverboat cruise. And when they got back, that's when Bill went and told them, hey, we got a problem. The boys are missing. All right. So Bill was in Florida. So he asked two guys from Michigan, Tony and Dennis, who are much younger. We should know Bill Bedford is now in his 80s. Um, but at the time, so Dennis and Tony are in, in Michigan. Bill's in Florida, but Bill asked them who were in, Flor in Michigan to go to Bahamas to bring a boat back to Florida, even though Bill's already in Florida. Right. Okay, okay very good. All right, so we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, so the Coast Guard, of course, they go out. They don't find anything. Uh, no oil slicks, no uh, life jackets. Of course, it's a huge expanse of area. Even though Bahamas not that far away, the Bahamas are not that far away from Florida. Still, it's just if you don't know where to search, then it's just it's you know the odds of finding somebody out there are pretty low. But still, uh, let's move on to this. So the weather. Um, was not the greatest, and it does seem though, and moving on to this, Dennis did make this call, and I, I want you to tell everybody uh, what Dennis uh, said. It seems like Dennis was worried about the weather, correct? Um, yes, he, a gentleman um, that they... The gentleman that helped him get the boat out of the dry dock, his name was Nathan, mm -hmm. and he overheard a conversation between um, Dennis and Bill. Dennis apparently called from his hotel room, and he called Bill, and that's what he told him, that if we don't arrive by 4 or 5 to call the Coast Guard. But the hotel didn't have any record of that phone call from Dennis on the 6th. Mm -hmm. um, it was... People checked and they double checked, and um, and they said that they would not have missed that call. It was it was done at apparently done at four eleven a.m. On this, okay, Tony, my brother Tony, called must have called his girlfriend in California. Um, mm -hmm. They 
Nathan is, is, insists, and they have it documented, documented on tape, that the call was made from Dennis to Tony, Dennis and Tony's room mm-hmm. from the McCann Beach Hotel. Um, but they, when, when Claire tried to call the security and, and who was very cooperative, they, they tried to get the manifest of all the calls that were yeah. made and nothing was, nothing showed up on the manifest that, um, that Dennis, so, that Dennis and Bill ever spoke. Right. Um, because the hotel policy is they wouldn't give anyone records belonging to another person. But right. the bottom line is, um, you know, they were begging for this information, but the hotel just said there was nothing on the, on the security, uh, the room calls. They, they couldn't find it. Okay. Uh, did Bill ever admit that this call was made? Did he ever own up? Yeah, Dennis did call him or not. I, I, you know what, I don't know. I no really idea. don't know. Okay. All right, so it does seem that uh, Dennis might have been, if this call happened, that, and it does seem to me that if that was the weather, if the, it is true, and I have looked up the weather, it was not, there wasn't a hurricane out there in the Atlantic at the time, but it wasn't placid ocean either. And uh, these boats are made for racing. They're not made for going out and, like I said, uh, going you know across the Atlantic Ocean or anything like that. These are made for speed, not for durability. They're more like a Corvette and not like a Jeep. Let's just put it that way. Let's move on to this, though. Dennis, this story comes from Dennis's mother, who is now deceased. But when did your family first hear the story about how Dennis said he had $150,000 cash on him. When, when did that story pop up? How did you find out about it? That, that came from Dennis's mom. He said, um, she claimed that there was a call from ship to shore um, from Dennis asking if his dinner coat had arrived or a dinner jacket had arrived because he now he lost his luggage apparently right again like we go back to losing his luggage um they interviewed claire dennis's dad and jan dennis's mom um interviewed several people at the hotel and they commented at one of the guys being in the clothes three nights in a row and that was because Dennis's luggage did not arrive from Detroit Northwest Airlines. Um, Dennis claims he had made a call to his mother saying, did my luggage show up back in Fort Lauderdale by the airlines because I have a large amount of money in my dinner jacket. Is that right? Now, knowing Dennis the way you do, uh, was Dennis doing something with his life that he would have had a lot of money on him? I don't, I don't know. Okay, but this is this is the story that his mother told. Yes. And he said this to his mother. This is what she claimed. Yeah, I, 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 I got you. Unfortunately, she can't be here to. You know, I'd love to ask her about this. 
but she's the one who says that her, her son told her, yeah, I have a lot of cash in my dinner jacket. Yes. Okay. Did, and one of the luggage from the, from the airlines had made it mm-hmm. to, the, to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And so if we're to believe this, Dennis and Tony are going to the Bahamas, and for some reason, Dennis put into his luggage a jacket that had a lot of money in it for some reason. Yes. Okay. Did, was the specific amount of money mentioned? Somewhere I've seen it mentioned, and I, I can't, I don't know where, but it, I don't, it, there is no official report, so okay. I'm not sure where it's going. All right, because you had said to me in a prior conversation that the, the amount of $150,000 came up. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, has that been your understanding all these years, that that was the amount of money that was mentioned? Yes. Okay. That's what Jan Tadman... Dennis's mother. Dennis's mother told me and my sister, Ricky. Okay. All right. I just, once again, I'd love to talk to her about it myself, but I can't. But that is uh, interesting. If it's his mother, I guess we'll have to believe it. If that maybe he was joking around, but I just don't know. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, let's just talk a little more about Bill. Uh, so what you're saying is previously is that Dennis, Tony, and the boat don't make it to Florida on that day, but Bill does not call the Coast Guard right away. Once again, your understanding. Right. Okay. Um, who, and it was Dennis's family who eventually figured out that Bill had done nothing or, or what? Yes, they were, um, uh, Dennis's father, Claire, and David Bagdell, which is Dennis's brother, mm-hmm. they were en route to Fort Lauderdale by boat from Michigan and did not arrive until Sunday, December 7th. 1986 at 2.30 p.m. Um, now, Bill owned the property where Claire resided in the winter okay. in, in Fort Lauderdale. Um, we were told the facts of Tony and Dennis's um, being missing and called the Coast Guard immediately. They started their search that afternoon and continued until 12.13. No clues were ever turned up. Okay, so it was Dennis's family who initiated the Coast Guard search, not Bill. Correct. Okay. To your knowledge, regarding that this was Bill's boat and it was never seen again, seemingly, do you know, have you ever been told by anybody, did he ever file an insurance claim? Did he ever claim that it was stolen? Did he ever make any comment about the boat itself? No. No comments were ever made about the boat. Nothing. So your family or Dennis's family never heard anything about his boat and how he was sorry to lose it. He was sorry, you know, just got any money from it, anything at all. My, my brother, um, Jesse, mm-hmm. claimed that he, he heard that, that the boat was found, but... That's it. There is nothing beyond that. Where it was found, how it was found. That that's all just based on. 
All right. I don't. I don't know. All right. So where did where did being that Jesse is your brother, Tony's brother as well. Where did your brother hear that news? Right off the bat, I don't know. Okay. And I, I, I'm sorry I don't have a lot of these answers. These answers I know it's tough. I got, I got you. That's we're just doing the best we can. Lisa, everybody well, understands that. Everybody realize uh, that this is all very frustrating. But we, we, you know, we have two, three, two guys, the Americans that went to the Bahamas to get a boat. They don't show back up. They're missing all these years later. And it would make sense that the boat's missing. But the person who owns the boat, seemingly at the time in 1986, never said anything about the boat being missing and whether he ever filed an insurance claim or anything like that. No. Okay. To, all right. To your, to your knowledge, I realize your mother was deceased at this time, but after... Tony and Dennis went missing. Did Bill ever call your father to offer condolences? To your knowledge, did Bill ever contact Dennis's family and say, you know, I, I sent them out there to get this boat. My boat's missing. They're gone. I feel horrible about this. I'm so sorry. Did Bill Bedford, to your knowledge, ever do any of that? To my knowledge, no. However, Claire talked with him a lot, Dennis's mm. father. Mm-hmm. Talk to talk to Bill a lot, and he. I had talked to Bill Bedford one time, and he did express condolences, but he also claimed that he didn't know what happened. You know, okay. he What? But he did. But... He said he felt you know he was sorry that it happened. Okay, so he did offer condolences. When was this? When did he finally do this? When did you speak to him and he said this? Um, this was probably about 20 years ago. All right. So in the 2000s? That was, yes, that was the one and only time I spoke with him. Okay, what was the circumstances under which you spoke to him? Um, one day I had just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to call him. I mean, when something like this happens, um, it's not something that you just put, put away and forget about. You right. know, it's something that eats at you every single day of your life. Mm -hmm. And, and there comes a point in time when you call it insanity. I don't care. I do call it whatever you want. Stress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you just you, you think you know what? I'm just gonna call. I'm sure. just gonna call and find out. And that day, that day, my cup overflowed. I was I huh. had reached my limit of guessing, and I called him. Okay. You know, and he he did offer condolences, but other than that, there there wasn't much more to say. Okay. So once again, this would, let's just say it was 20 years ago. So that would have been 2003. This is 17 years after. Uh, Dennis and Tony go missing. Of course, we can't forget about this other guy who's seemingly missing. We're going to get into him in a moment. But I'll have to ask you, did you ever ask Bill Point Blank, for example, did you send Tony and Dennis out there to Bahamas to bring that boat back because they were doing something illegal? Did you ever ask him something like that? I, believe me, I 
when I I went in there, <laughs> I went in this phone call. Mm-hmm. I was very accusing to him. Okay. You know, I I I was I was probably out of line, but I I wanted answers. Sure. Um. He of course denied it. You know, denied all that, mm-hmm. and you know I I I just don't know what to think about Bill. Okay, so you did ask him if there was anything shady going on, and he denied it. Yeah, okay. correct. All right. Because, once again, we're, we don't do theories and things on You know, we try really, 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 really try to avoid them. But I'm okay. sure that people at this point uh, are reading between the lines. Okay, we have two Americans who are going to the Bahamas who really don't have a lot of boating experience in the Bahamas, have never been to the Bahamas before, and they're going to get this this very fast boat, and they're bringing it back to Florida. But they go missing. The boat goes missing, seemingly, and the owner of the boat doesn't contact the Coast Guard right away. And then on top of that, Dennis says to his mother that yeah, he's carrying a lot of cash and he's going to the Bahamas. It all looks a little suspicious. Yes, it does. Right. It yes, does. Correct. All right. So this is why, for everybody out there, this is why I have to ask Lisa these questions about, you know, when she finally did get talked to Bill, you know, did you just ask him point blank? Are you sure, for example, that you just weren't having them to go out to run drugs from the Bahamas back here for you? I didn't ask him that. Okay. I basically said, you know, if you had it, <laughs> I threatened him. I said, mm. you had anything to do this. I'm, I'm sure. I'm going to start you on fire. <laughs> I, I, I got gotcha. you. I know. You know I was Makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and, um, but he denied all the allegations. Okay. Today. All right. And what about this call? I have it in my notes here just to clarify this. This call that Dennis seemingly made, uh, that he made this call saying, hey, if we're not back by 5 o'clock, you know, call the Coast Guard. Did Bill ever admit that this call happened or not? Of course, like you said, it doesn't seem like the hotel any, had any records of this. We have to remember going back to 1980s technology. Um, but did Bill ever talk about this, whether this call happened or not? No, Bill, I think Bill claimed that it did not happen. Okay. Uh-huh. Nathan, um, the, the gentleman, he is the one that overheard the phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one from Baham- Nathan from Bahamas. Um, he said that he overheard that call now, but mm-hmm. they can't find it anywhere. So, okay. you know, that's an, another unknown. Okay. Just don't know whether we're supposed to believe Nathan or not. I just don't. And Nathan was somebody from the Bahamas? Yes, he was the one who helped them get the boat out of the back. Okay. Speaking of the Bahamas, um, we have to talk about this uh, just because it's out there. Once again, I don't know how deep I really want to get into this, but your family uh, had maybe talked about, or friends of Tony's had talked about going to the Bahamas to figure out you know, if this is all true, because it easily could be it's just a boating accident. They're trying to come back. They run into some bad weather. They all get thrown overboard. You know, frankly, around Florida, you're hearing these stories all the time. On the other hand, we have all these other things that make it seem like it could be something else. 
But a couple of friends of Tony were going to go to the Bahamas, and what were they told by somebody? And they were told that if they went over there, that they would be sent back in body bags. Who told them that? Where did the, how did this, when did this story pop up? How did this story even get started? Where does it come from? Do you know? That came from, that, yes, that came from Nathan. All right, so once again, we got this Nathan guy who is a, not an American. He's a Bahaman. Yes, Bohemian. A Bohemian. Is that, is that what they really call them? They call them Bohemians there? Bohemians, yeah. Okay. Um, he's a citizen of Bahama, of the Bahamas. And did Nathan tell Tony's friends this, or...? Yeah. He did? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were told not to go over there. To, and, and they left the Bahamas, went directly to the airport, Mm-hmm. And flew back to But they, the, the friends did, these friends of Tony did go to the Bahamas, though. Yes. All right, but so. No, 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 they didn't. They did They went to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And from what I understand, had they had contact with him somewhere, I don't know if it was over in the Bahamas, I don't know if it was in Fort Lauderdale, but the, the message was sent plain and clear that if mm-hmm. they went over there, that they would be sent back in body bags. Okay. So that's all that was said on that. Why would Nathan even say that? Why would this guy even say that? Wonder. <laughs> How would he know that? He was, uh-huh. he's getting that. He's the yeah, guy's getting the. If I knew that, yeah. I'd know a lot more. <laughs> yeah, he would. Okay. I don't. I don't know what to make of that. All right, but I had to bring it up because this was something that was told to Tony's friends. Yes. Okay. What about Bobby Majors? Remember, we have to remember he is the other guy who is missing here. He's not an American, but seemingly he's a citizen of the Bahamas. Seemingly he went missing too. Did his family, to your knowledge, try to put any work into finding out what happened to him? What can you say about any of that? I do not know what their family did as far as trying to find out everything that had happened. Um, Claire and... Uh, Dennis's brother David and and Jan they reached out to that family, but they the doors were slammed in their face. They could not get mm-hmm. any information out of them. Okay. All right. So no help there. Um, the uh, United States would have I don't know if they have an ambassador of the Bahamas, but the consulate for the United States any help. Did like the FBI or somebody ever get involved in this, being that they were last seen in a in a different country, anything like that? Um, they, everybody made hundreds of phone calls to the authorities, um, mostly the Coast Guard, um, the Miami-based one, uh, the Bahamian police, uh, a uh, lieutenant or sergeant Devereaux. Um, the FBI, Larry Fulton, and um, several, let's see, a close friend of the Bagnell family that was stationed in Fort Lauderdale, Mm -hmm. 
um, area, a lot of people were called, but the FBI, nobody could really do anything because it happened in international water. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right, allegedly. You know, I guess if they didn't, if the ship did get, if the, the boat did sink, nobody would have been there to see it except the guys on it anyway. But the, the fact is they were last seen in a foreign country. Correct. Um, the, the Bohemian police that worked with everyone was uh, a Sergeant Devereaux. And he, mm. well, he didn't really come up with much either. Okay. Nobody, nobody did. None of them. Okay. None of none of the none of the uh, places that were contacted could do much of anything. Okay. Uh, anybody you believe? Any sightings of them actually leaving the dock? The three of them in the boat, driving out into the bay, driving away from the you know the dock, you know throwing the ropes off. Any any news like that at all? I've, we have this Nathan guy. I don't know if we're supposed to believe him or not, but. You know, any sightings that you believe that actually said, yeah, people saw them get in the boat and drive out headed toward the, the Atlantic Ocean? Um, okay. Nathan is the one who was at the marina with them. Mm -hmm. um, it says that Okay, David and Claire spent three days in in Freeport tracing Tony's and Dennis's steps. Okay. They interviewed they interviewed all the people who saw them leave the marina at eleven thirty a.m. Mm -hmm. on the sixth of December and head for open water towards Bitter. Mm-hmm. Nathan was the name of the person who lined them up with the person who was holding the boat for collateral. And also the person that they paid 10000 to to release the boat. Nate was the person who contracted the guide to go with them. And Nate was the person who last saw them depart the marina. He took us through his actions that day. He untied the boat. He, bought, he had them buy life jackets. Mm -hmm. He finished, furnished them with water and fruit and all that. And it says... Um, he got into his car and drove a four-minute ride to the opposite side of the marina to a point where he wanted to see the boat in open water mm -hmm. so he could be assured that they, that they did leave. He saw no boat in the water. He says that... He left and went to his girlfriend's apartment and waited for a phone call from Dennis saying mm. that they had made it safely to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Um, nothing. Never got that, that. Of course, never got no. that call. No, he never got the call. Okay. All right, so they did go out there. Of course, there was this threat. Tony's friends don't come out here. Something bad's going to happen. But uh, Dennis's father and brother went out there, and I guess they lived, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Now, this disappearance, Tony and Dennis's disappearance, was on Unsolved Mysteries. What year did that happen? How did that happen? Um, now, I, I never seen that, that. Huh. Um, uns, or, Unsolved Mysteries, I think, had contacted... Unsolved Mysteries was contacted. Now, I don't know... Mm. Any further, um, it, it started because there was a a, a grave in Florida that okay. had a, a small mass grave that had multiple bodies in there, mm. and Unsolved Mysteries was working on that story when they contacted my father to see if. His, if, uh, to get his DNA to um, see if there was a match. Yeah. It was Tony. Right. Um, and there was the match. There wasn't a match. There wasn't a match. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So these two guys in Michigan, out of nowhere, it seems this Bill guy says, "Hey, come down here. Will you go get this boat? Bring it back." Um, to Florida, and something happens. Of course, what makes this very difficult to understand is that we have no news if Bill Bedford ever filed an insurance claim for this boat. We don't know what his boat was doing in the Bahamas in the first place, right? Correct. We don't know. We don't know if he was buying. It sound it was repossession. Was he buying it? You know, if he's buying a boat, why couldn't he just buy one in Florida? It's all a little hard to understand. And then on top of everything else, we have this guy, Nathan, who seemingly saw everything while these two were there. But I'm not sure if he's to be believed uh, or not. So, But the problem also, on the other hand, is it very well could be they got out out in the ocean, headed toward Florida, a storm kicked up. And if the waves really, really got high in that kind of boat, it's going to make it very, very difficult. All right. Uh, How hard uh, was this to experience in 1986, Lisa? Tell me about what your family has been through, um, you know, regarding, uh, you know, and maybe you can speak for Dennis's family too. I don't know how well you know them, but, you know, how how bad has the last 37 years been? Um, Well, you know, it it never goes away. (laughs) You know, you read all these textbooks out there about grieving and mourning and losing a loved one and you know it's it's tragic it is but when you don't have a body to put to rest when you don't have you don't see you know we go through a process of, of a funeral and laying out our loved ones at a you know in a funeral home and having a service and and go to the cemetery, bury them. You know, we go through this process, and it's to help us recover anymore. When you can't do that, when you can't take every step that you're supposed to take during the mourning process, you get hung up in it. And that's where our families are. We are hung up in a process that we cannot complete. And it's ever, it's never ending. It's a word that I have flashes of my childhood with him, with Tony. Things that we did when we were kids, growing up, 
up into my teenage years. And I missed him. I miss him. I miss a part of me that's with him. He was a he was the first, I was the last of my family and we were actually quite a lot alike. And you know, it's my dad I, I watched my dad sit at his kitchen table as tears ran down his face. Because you just you don't know. You lose something so important and you don't know why. And you and you don't know you know, like if somebody did something to him, then send us a letter, right? Yeah. Make an anonymous phone call. Do something. Put us they 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 think they just took care of a problem that they were having with, with my brother or Dennis. But they didn't they didn't realize who they left behind. You know, they didn't realize the damage it was gonna cause throughout the years. I mean, I bet my children would love to meet their Uncle Tony. But all they can hear about is stories. So you know, and, and, and that's where it ends. When was the last time you spoke to somebody in Dennis's family about all this? I spoke to um, Gabriella, who would be Dennis's niece. I spoke to her last week, mm. a week or two ago. And uh, they, you know, a lot of people are afraid to ask too many questions because you just don't know what the circumstances are. And if we're going to open a can of worms or if, you know, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I not do anything because I can, eventually, eventually I'm going to meet my maker and I'm going to meet Tony again. And I hope that God knows and everybody knows that I did what I could in my power to do, to help find him. That's all I can do. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just, I just want to know. Because it's it's not knowing that eats at you like a cancer. When, when you uh, have spoken, uh, you know, over there's maybe you or somebody else in your family with somebody in uh, Dennis's family. Has there ever been a reason that has been given that's been made sense to them that Bill would ask Dennis and Tony to do this in contrast to anybody else? What was the reason that, that Bill would have asked them in the first place? Has any insight into that from Dennis's family? No, no, none. Um, Hmm. We just don't have, the only thing we can do is get our DNAs out there, theirs, ours, I'm nameless like we did, and get that stuff out there. And if if we get answers, great. Hmm. But until then, we just have to sit in silence because we don't want to ruffle too many feathers. Okay. Depending on, the, depending on what the circumstances were, we just don't know. Right. And we have to remember, as I've already stated, Bill Bedford is still alive. We're not saying he did anything. We don't know. Maybe some of these, in, much as some of this information has gotten lost 
uh, over the years, and he did do things, but if he did, it doesn't seem that anybody in Dennis or Tony's family was ever told. No. Okay. All right. Uh, Lisa, do you have a Facebook page, website, anything like that set up for Tony's disappearance? Um, there is a website, or a, it's a, it's called NAMUS, N-A-M, yeah. capital U-S. That is the, um, we have Michigan State Police open file there. Yeah. Tony and Dennis. Um, Tony's number is pound MP42151, and you can go to Namus and put that and look this up, and it gives you um, his identifications, where he was last seen, mm-hmm. um, who he was with, his description, things like that. Yeah. And you can look it, look it up. But also, our Gabriella and I did our DNA, and it's in the um, CODIS, mm-hmm. so that if anything does come forward, um, they can test it against our DNA, or even our future um, children's DNA, and and be able to do an ancestral, if it, if it doesn't happen in my, in my lifetime, it may happen in theirs. And so you don't, right now at this point, you don't have like a Facebook page or anything set up though? No, I just have a personal one as well. Okay. All right. You might think about starting a Facebook page for Tony and Dennis's disappearances. I, I do go to, um, I do have a Facebook group that I go to, and it's called Missing in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And that is where I first um, oh, okay. started going and uh, sitting in there in that group and, uh, you know, listening to people's stories and such and yeah. trying to meet other people that have been through what we have been through. Yeah. And um, that, that's been a, you know, a great support system. But it's all for all cases, all people that have been listening from Michigan. So it, okay. you know, there's several. Yeah. There's several cases. Yeah, there is. Okay. Lisa, any final words before we complete this interview? I just, I, I really would like to have one thing in my life settled. Um, and I want to find peace where that, that void is, where Tony is concerned. And, and unless it happens to you or even someone that you know, nobody really understands how hard it is to, to, to live every day not knowing and I, I just hope somebody comes forward or somebody has some words of advice or if you know of a better way of getting through this then by please please tell me and I want I just want somebody to put us at ease All right yeah this disappearance uh, kind of rare kind of unique and I've covered like 290 disappearances although I have covered a disappearance of some young men who went missing in the Gulf of Mexico back in the 1990s and surely it's believed there that something that was non not accidental happened let's just put it that way um, so this is like the second uh, of course then I covered a disappearance of six 
young men uh, out on Lake, what was it, Lake Erie, or Lake Ontario, I should say. Um, so this is like the third one, like boating something, people going missing while on boats. Maybe, and of course, maybe we have to be open to the idea that Tony and Dennis never got on a boat at all. So that's, that's a possibility as well. Okay. Uh, Lisa, thank you for appearing on this episode of Unfound. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And that was my April 30th, 2023 interview with Lisa Mullineau, sister of Tony Schwark. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. I've done a map analysis video for this episode, the first one in a while, that can now be found on Unfound's YouTube channel. Please check it out and hit the like button. Anybody of a certain age in this audience who remembers wicker shoes with no socks, fluorescent shirts under white sports jackets, dresses with shoulder pads and big hair, will most surely start hearing Jan Hammer music in the background and start thinking Tony and company suffered something Glenn Fry called the Smuggler's Blues. Surely. Because of that, though, I want to skew this summation in the other direction. So you leave this episode with opposing sides being fairly represented. But I should say, this could have been a drug operation. However, Tony and the other guys still could have gone missing due to an accident. Keep that in mind. Okay then, looking at this from a plane crash NTSB investigation point of view, we must entertain the idea that these three disappeared due to all the holes in the Swiss cheese model of risk analysis lining up. What do I mean? Well, here was the situation on that day, December 6th, 1986. We have at least two inexperienced sailors. A boat that had been just taken out of dry dock. A boat that was not built for rough water. Given the era, the weather not being able to be predicted as well as we can today. On that note, I checked as best I could the weather in Fort Lauderdale for that day, December 6th, 1986. And at 1 p.m., the temperature was 73 degrees, no rain, cloudy, with the wind coming from the northeast at 20 miles an hour. Given that I live at the beach, at 20 miles an hour, you will see whitecaps on the water. And there will be waves, although not large ones. Once again, going back to the Swiss cheese model of risk analysis, in my opinion, there is enough here to believe that an accident could have happened. With the biggest problem being that seemingly the boat went directly from dry dock to being used. This is a big no-no in anything. Cars, planes, motorcycles, whatever. We have no indications that the engines were examined that the batteries were new, that someone took it for a test ride to make sure there were no leaks, were fuel lines checked to make sure a fire wouldn't start. You wouldn't take a car that had been in storage for a year on a drive across the United States without a tech 
looking at it first, right? On top of all of this, if this were truly nothing but a repossession, this could lead us to believe the boat was in an even bigger state of disrepair than we can imagine. So please keep this all in mind. As for the alternative, that this was some kind of drug deal gone bad, that Tony and Dennis got to the Bahamas, and drug dealers decided they wanted to keep the money, the drugs, and the boat, and Bill didn't call the Coast Guard because he didn't want to be exposed as a drug smuggler, there are no facts to rule this out. Yet, I don't think there are any facts to rule it in, either. There's one more pertinent piece of information regarding this topic, though. I couldn't find any information that other Americans disappeared in the Bahamas in the 1980s in a similar way that Tony and Dennis did. So, if this happened to be a drug deal double-cross, why did they go missing but other smugglers didn't? This is hard to understand. But this is why analyzing disappearances is such a tough job. Bahamas or not. If you'd like to hear and read my extensive in-depth analysis of the disappearance of Tony Schwark and the guys who were with him, please go to patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast and become a supporter. Until then, I leave the public theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.